Hello, hello. Welcome again and thank you for tuning in to the third episode of Few Words, a podcast for publishers and creators covering everything content creation, distribution, and monetization. Our guest today is Alan Hunter. Alan is the co-founder of HBM Advisory, a strategy consultancy that helps businesses make the most of their content. With fellow co-founder Michael Brunt, a former COO of The Economist, Alan advises publishers and others, including an opera house, on aligning their content and product strategies for growth, paywall modeling, customer journeys, data insights, and revenue development. Prior to setting up HBM Advisory, Alan served in various capacities at The Times and The Sunday Times for two decades. And in today's episode, Alan will be sharing all his learnings on reader revenue and subscriptions. So stay tuned for an informative session. Over to our host, Abhishek Dadu. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Abhishek. It's a pleasure to uh, to be with you. Yeah, we've been friends for, I think, over a year now. And in the middle of it, you've transitioned from, you know, being at the publishers to an advisory outfit. How's the journey been? What are you up to? So it's, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really eye-opening, actually, and very stimulating. So, I spent a long time, uh, as as you know, as the head of digital at the Times of London, uh, and then uh, last summer I uh, well yeah last summer I left and we um, uh, my colleague former colleague uh, Michael Brunt uh, and I set up uh, HBM Advisory, which is uh, a consultancy which is looking to help uh, businesses make the most of their content, uh, and uh, you know we advise on. You know, content and product strategy, uh, on payable modeling, on really focusing on user needs and how people can best uh, kind of dis- discern what they are, uh, revenue development, uh, and really the full kind of suite of uh, uh, kind of areas relating to both news publishing and, and also other subscription businesses. And that's uh, something we found interesting. So we actually uh, kind of uh, span the whole kind of gamut of what publishers do because Michael was formerly the general manager of the Times and prior to that uh, he was the COO and publisher of The Economist for, for where he served for a long time. So he, he's very much uh, uh, has great expertise in the business side of, uh, of publishing and obviously my, my background is in editorial. I was a journalist and then I moved into a kind of quasi product role, I guess a bridge role as they now call them the time so we we cover the full range and one thing we we like to think we can bring to clients is uh alignment so mm-hmm. quite often we found that the companies aren't aligned and, and that's bringing that alignment is what gives us value uh and actually it's been very interesting that you know we we work for two very long established subscription businesses mm-hmm. and we found that non-publishers are interested in um kind of what we've learned about subscriptions. So we have been working for a uh, an opera house, a classical music streaming uh, service, uh, and also we've been we've been talking to a, a company that wants to do a gin subscription. So uh, it's quite a range of of um, clients, as well as you know conventional publishers. So it's it's been fascinating to see how 
what publishers have learned over over many years can be translated into other types of subscription business. Uh, we think there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. Yeah, I think uh, the general philosophy of uh, you know how the consumer thinks about uh, committing to a recurring payment uh, doesn't change from product to product, whether it's a digital good or gin or any physical good. Yeah. Right? As long as it's a habit-forming product, um, then recurring payments uh, makes absolute sense. That's brilliant. Uh, you know, I I would like to touch upon very quickly when you first moved at the times from an advertising-led business model to a reader revenue-based business model. You were there during that transition. I was, yeah. I was, I was very much on the. I was still on the editorial. I wasn't working in digital at the time, but I was on the the editorial side. Yeah. Um, as a as an editor. And what do you remember uh, as an editor at the time? What were your views about the reader revenue, the paywall, the digital paywall, uh, and did that change as as the paywall business progressed? Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a good question. Obviously. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I was 100% behind it. And like everyone else, I knew it was going to be a success and it was a great idea. Um, or I may have, like many in the newsroom, been slightly skeptical because uh, we saw our traffic, which was the measure we had been used to looking at, drop by 98.5% overnight when the, um, when the subscription model was introduced. Mm-hmm. And... All of a sudden, there was, you know, in in the newsroom, there was a feeling that we were being shut out of the the conversation online. Um, but that didn't last for too long, as um, the, you know, as we suddenly, as we saw the subscription numbers going up. So we got yeah. to a hundred thousand subscribers in in a year, mm-hmm. largely because it was it was very uh, well priced, should we say, from the customer's perspective. In other mm-hmm. words, it was too cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of people transitioned very quickly from from print to digital. So our loyal readers changed mm-hmm. to digital, and gradually we 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 started to realise that there was uh, something going on, and and you know the the, the finances of the company uh, are generally kept quite kind of close because it's a public company estate. But the, the general message was this is helping to improve. The finances of the Times and the Sunday Times, the two papers work together. Yeah. And, you know, it had been announced that in 2009, we had lost £70 million um, between us, Mm. which is quite a big loss. Um, And then, you know, really, actually, very quickly, uh, it started to move towards, you know, much less, fewer losses. And then suddenly, kind of, Kind of a few years, years later, we started to think, oh, okay, it's now making a profit, which uh, you know was very uh, unusual for the time, should we say, in its in its history. So, so I think we were a bit skeptical, but over time, uh, we kind of saw um, that it started to you know pay dividends. And and actually, you know, I you know I confess I was a little bit skeptical to start with, probably because as a journalist, I hadn't really had to think about. The business side of things too much, right? And I think actually that's a big change that's happened in the last decade or so is that journalists really do need to think about how their businesses are funded and their role in creating good businesses because um, you know that that allows the journalists to have some elements of 
a say in what their companies are doing if you mm. if you understand what's going on and you know the the newspaper business was the easiest business in the world you had a, a kind of contained market you you printed your newspapers and sold them and you know advertisers bought that market mm-hmm. and it was a very simple business um, mm-hmm. not huge levers to pull a bit of marketing here and there but mostly it was easy but now the digital marketplace is so complicated um, and yeah. I think uh, there are so many different ways of approaching it. Uh, and the whole world becomes your competition. It's no longer isolated. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Yeah. The competition is no longer, from the, the Times' point of view, is no longer the Daily Telegraph or the Guardian. Right. Um, you know, or, or even now, you know, the New York Times uh, and the Washington Post. Right. Um, it is now also the BBC, Netflix, mm-hmm. um, you know, Amazon Prime Video, wherever people spend their time. So I think I think it's 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 fundamentally changed, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was kind of it's a long winded say way of saying that I got very interested in the business side of of journalism, and you know became a real advocate for reader revenue because I think it's it it is a way of you know uh, showing that you're forming a direct connection connection with your users, a valuable connection that you're doing. Th- doing work that they find, you know, useful and important and will pay for. And that that's a very good way of judging whether you're doing good good journalism or not. So you switched over to be becoming a data literate fairly quickly, right? And you started enjoying your journey in the reader revenue world, right? But I'm sure a lot of, yeah. a lot of the your colleagues uh, didn't make that transition. And, yes, uh, I'm sure. And then you know the newsroom changed. The the new people who were joining the newsroom, the kind of talent you were hiring, all that changed. So there was a cultural shift that happened between 2010 and 2014, I would say, right at the time. And you know how how would you describe that? Like what kind of people were you guys proactively hiring at that point? Like were you straight going to journalism school still, or were you looking at slightly different skill sets? Um, a bit of both, to be honest. So uh, there are some very good journalism schools in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we had had very good experiences hiring from them. So we, we did hire people from uh, there's, a, there's City Journalism. City uh, University in London has a school. Uh, there's also one in Cardiff and Sheffield. And there's, very, there's various good journalism schools. So we did hire from them. But, but increasingly, we... You know, particularly in my team, the which uh, the digital team, uh, where we ran audience development, social, uh, video, uh, audio, uh, and and general kind of digital storytelling, mm-hmm. we we started to look beyond journalism, um, which I think was was really important thing to do. And, and the idea was to get different skills into the newsroom because you know, like like most newsrooms, uh, you know the that people were fairly similar. <laughs> right. I mean, we used to joke, we used to joke about, you know, the, the Times is fa- famously quite an establishment newspaper. And we used to joke that diversity at the Times meant that someone had been to Cambridge rather than Oxford. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's that's not not great mm-hmm. um, for the future. But but we 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 started to look uh, beyond traditional journalism. Uh, and you know, two 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 kind of hires really spring to mind. So um, uh, one uh, hire was a woman who came to us from uh, 
a, a digital marketing agency. And she'd been used to running campaigns for brands. Uh, and uh, the, we initially got her in as the SEO editor. So, because uh, she'd had experience with SEO, she, she would admit that wasn't her main skill, but she, she came in and did that job for a while and did it amazingly well uh, and showed that she had an understanding of journalism, like most people who can, you know, who read intelligently do. Um, and she went on to become the, the head of audience very, very quickly. You know, she's uh, still in her kind of uh, 20s, still now in her 20s, in fact. Um, and then from there, um, she has become associate editor. So kind of like the, in the top, top table of the Sunday Times, basically. So she very closely advises the, the editor of the Sunday Times on, uh, you know, what, what audiences are looking for, what the data is saying, and, you know, really gives a kind of audience right at the top of the, the, the editorial um, hierarchy. Now, you know, she hadn't done any journalism in her background whatsoever, and yet she came in and now is, you know, a very senior journalist, uh, which was great. Um, and also we looked for, for, for people who just had totally different skills. So one of the people uh, I hired for our digital storytelling team, which builds interactives and um, looks for stories and data uh, uh, and you know, does computational journalism, uh, we we hired someone who uh, she is a post she was doing a postdoctoral uh, research in physics uh, at a university in Italy, um, and she came she came up with basically we we did you know we we spent a lot of time on our on our recruitment and, and she came up just came up with a very very good story idea in in an interview and despite never having done any journalism whatsoever she had worked briefly in a press office at the university. We, we, we took a chance on her and it's been rewarded over and over again. She has recently been promoted as well. Um, so I think, you know, looking beyond journalism is really important. I mean, you know, quite rightly, the, uh, the news business around the world is um, looking at uh, its, you know, especially, I guess, in Western countries, their, their poor record on diversity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also, you know, they should really start thinking not just of, um, you know, diversity in terms of sex, gender, and ethnicity, and, and so on, but also in terms of skills. Um, because if you're trying to report the world and you you have a predominantly arts graduate-based group, you're, you're really not looking at a group of reporters. You're, you're really not kind of seeing the full picture. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I think uh, this is a great learning uh, that a lot of our audience can you know, take that, you know, building a data literate organization requires looking beyond journalists, um, even at the very junior levels um, in the team. Uh, so let's fast forward, right? 2014 to 2017-18, um, Trump bump included in there. Um, all and of that. a Brexit bump for, for us in the UK as well. That's right. <laughs> uh, Brexit bump. Uh, all of that happening and, you know, subscription numbers is doubling, tripling um, journey. Uh, and then, you know, like every mature subscription business, like even Netflix is not, you know, is prone to this, right? The, the churn problem starts to hit. Um, did you leave the times before or after? You, I'm sure you saw some of that starting to kick in uh, by the time you were leaving. The times yes although 
actually, we had kind of reached a plateau in subscriptions a bit earlier okay. uh, than that. So, so we went very quickly from, uh, we had 100,000 subscribers after the first year. Yeah. And when I, when I took over as head of digital at the end of 2013, uh, we had 180,000 mm-hmm. um, and 400,000 subscribers altogether across print and digital. Mm-hmm. And the, the joke was that the marketing team used to have a celebration of going above 400,000 subscribers every month because the, 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 uh, the subs um, number would fluctuate just around 400,000 <laughs> for, the, for, the uh, for the whole year or so. And really, it's you know, it stayed at one hundred eighty thousand, not going up much, not going, you know, never going too far down. We did actually put up the price as well, so we went from two pounds a week to six pounds a week over that time. So it kept fairly um, steady. But actually, the the big jump in uh, subscription numbers for us started in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a combination of a number of things. So we had the uh, you know the Brexit bump. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think probably in the UK was more uh, pronounced mm-hmm. um, than Trump was for for, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, obviously it was a kind of tumultuous political time, and people really came to uh, quality newspapers to find out what on earth was going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think we we still know, but anyway, that's by the by. And, and so we had that, but also at the same time, um, we launched new products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we, we reimagined our website uh, and smartphone app mm-hmm. uh, to, to be addition-based. So we, we did a long bit of research with uh, our customers and um, found that they didn't come to us for breaking news. What they came to us for was the authority with which we reported on the news, which takes time, uh, and the opinion uh, alongside and analysis. Mm-hmm. And what we found was there were big peaks in the day at uh, before you know, 6 to 8 a.m. was the main time of reading. Then there was another peak at 9 when people got into the office, uh, a lunchtime peak at noon. Uh, and so we tried to hit these with providing packages of content at that time. So we updated our overnight edition at 9 a.m. noon. And then we tried to and, and actually did develop a 5 p.m. Uh, bump as well. So the commute on the way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or just the end of the day roundup for people who were who are at home, mm-hmm. and and so we you know we saw uh, you know the the number of users of the smartphone app and website went up dramatically. Um, you know the the smartphone app I think it was uh, it trebled in volume very very quickly, um, and people were reading more because they came for a considered view on the news rather than just what just happened. Right. Um, and, and that actually, that really helped deliver, along with, you know, the, the marketing uh, group, uh, they, they really kind of got much more on top of the data, um, were much better at attracting the right kind of subscribers who wanted this kind of content. Mm-hmm. So the, the content and the, the marketing of the content were aligned. We were telling people what we were and what we were doing, and that, that really did work. Um, and the numbers of subs just kind of steadily increased from that point. And you know, to be honest, uh, in, until the point at which I, I left, they they had kept increasing at a, a kind of steady steady rate of about twenty percent a year. So I don't think um, the the Times uh, has really hit its its peak yet. In fact, I think it could be a, a lot bigger than than it is. But that's mm-hmm. a, that's for someone else to to do now. Right. But um, I, I mean, I think. 
I do think there is going to be a, a time where the, there'll be subscription fatigue in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a matter of, you know, publishers really looking to what their role in this market is. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, in the Reuters digital report how most people have one subscription, mm-hmm. uh, one, you know, one new subscription. So, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, you know, there's not many people who may have looked at one or two newspapers. They're just buying one new subscription. In the States, there's signs that people are taking two. More yep. people are taking two now than before. But mm-hmm. I think it's it's going to be difficult. And, you know, the, the prospect of the winner taking most of the market, um, which uh, I know uh, Nick Newman at the Reuters Institute at Oxford University has been talking about, should kind of... I think worry publishers at the moment. There's 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 a there's a lot to um, think about there and and how they respond to it. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's something we see in our business too. Uh, I mean it's it's built for uh, the second and third and the fourth and the tenth in line publisher because yeah. not everybody there's going to be one winner. Uh, but as content gets fragmented, um, you know people are spoiled for choices too. Right. So the yes. number of outlets, quality outlets is really increasing and niche outlets are, is really increasing as well. Um, so you're competing not only with news, but you're competing with all the niches out there, all the newsletters out there and the OTTs out there, etc. Uh, and, you know, we see that now Netflix share prices have taken a dump. Um, you know, there is something to be said about people cutting the cord at a moment's notice um, or not signing up because they just have too much already out there. Um, what are your, your views about how Netflix is going? Well, I think it, it's, it's very interesting that for, for quite a while, I think you'd say Netflix didn't really have much competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're really facing it with Disney Plus and uh Kind of, I think the HBO offering and uh, Peacock Discovery and mm-hmm. and also obviously Amazon Prime. So they they have a lot more competition now, and I guess the the interesting issue uh, with Netflix and it's something that uh, I did a I actually did a course on digital disruption uh, strategies to deal with digital disruption at Cambridge University at their business school uh, last year, and uh, one of the professors was very interesting. He was saying, you know, what do you lose? when you give up your Netflix subscription? Uh, and the answer is nothing because you can, you can just, you know, it's like a, like the old buses in London where you could jump on the back and jump off. It's hop on, hop off. And you don't lose anything from, from jumping off. You, you don't have any saved, uh, um, saved movies or, or TV shows. You don't have any playlists. Um, and when you go back on, it will take a while to kind of for the algorithm to work its way back up to you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'll you'll basically have the same service, so you can you can have a break, and that is a that is a problem. If in this newly competitive market, people decide that other streaming services give them, you know, what they need, um, because you know, I I know that you know I've got I've got teenage kids, and we have an incredible number of TV subscriptions. TV, well, I call them TV subscriptions, but they're they're streaming subscriptions. Yeah, and. You know, I'm sure there'll come a time when we go, hang on, why do we need to have 
we have Sky TV in the UK and we have BT, which is a, a sport, mm-hmm. and we have Discovery Plus and Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime and Disney Plus. And, you know, it just it goes on. And, you know, you get a lot of them on free deals or cheap deals to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, hang on, this is costing me a lot of money every month. What am I going to lose? And if, if you can just say, okay, well, I, I, there's nothing on Netflix I want to watch at the moment, you just go away. And there's, there's no reason to stick with it. And I guess that's, you know, if you look at uh, Spotify, which, you know, uh, their current problems notwithstanding, they do have playlists and you do save songs. So you kind of, there is a investment you have in sticking with Spotify, sure. um, which you don't have with Netflix. So I think Although it's, it's if you If you cancel Spotify, like I canceled Spotify for a year and I joined again just a couple of months ago, my playlist kind of came back. Um, ah, well, so, there you go. So <laughs> you've spotted the, there's the floor in Spotify as well, <laughs> I guess. Uh, um, perhaps we should, uh, perhaps we should uh, try and consult with them and tell them to take that away. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, the problem that we feel is that if every OTT starts to become a kitchen sink and they are catering to you know niches and general content and nature and crime and drama then there is really no differentiation then people start cord cutting because the next best show is coming up on amazon prime they'll finish mm-hmm. that series and then come back to netflix for the next one yep. for the next season of narcos etc right so sonali uh, verma of uh, globe and mail made a good point that if everybody becomes a kitchen sink then this is bound to happen. But if everybody pick their niches, then you become the category leader and the winner take all dynamics apply to each niche. Um, yep. So OTT going the kitchen sink route is the, the fundamental problem that you want to be an entertainment player and information service uh, as well and you know be everything for everyone problem. Yes, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's that certainly applies to, to publishers too. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting when, when we, um, you know, I actually think that uh, niche publishers have a lot kind of um, rosier future perhaps than general interest publishers um, because they are catering to people's, you know, people's passions or, or kind of interest or something they need to do for, for their, their career. And, you know, people will be prepared to pay for that if, uh, if it, if it meets all those needs, whereas, a, a, you know, general news, uh, and I think publishers have been complicit in this is kind of, it's freely available. Uh, it's like oxygen. You don't, you, you know, it's always like a kitchen sink, you know, it's, it's just there. You don't, you don't really need to think about, where that latest push notification came from, you just like you just access it and it's there and you know what's happened, and it's it's really working out for for general publishers, and I think it's more difficult. What is their unique selling point compared to everyone else? Um, and that's what we were trying to do with our with our edition loan policy at the at the time. Um, yeah, but I think so it's I think it is difficult. We 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 met we had lunch with Tim Rowell. I don't know if you know him. He's the IPAC head for piano today. Um, oh. I think he worked at Times. Did he say? Uh, no, he was working for um, in the UK for he has a journalist background, and he said the day 
my outlet published 148 digital articles when Michael Jackson died, just because we were chasing page views. Um, and we had nothing to do. We had no sort of inclination, just being a general news outlet to talk about Michael Jackson in so much depth. Uh, I knew that, you know, this is not, not really the place where uh, I'm going to build a career, right? Because everyone was trying to just jump in on a kitchen saying, get on the page views thing. And, you know, that niche is very much needed to be category leaders and sustainable subscription revenue. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. The the publishing loads of stories on Michael Jackson's uh, one hundred and forty eight uh, stories in one day on Michael Jackson I know, when he passed away. I know. It's funny. We we used to um, uh, we used to, one thing we noticed in the data at the times was um, most people will only ever read one story on a topic, however big a top story it is. Mm -hmm. They'll just read one story. They'll get what they need, and then they 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 move on. They go on with their lives. Of course, if you think about it, <laughs> think about your own behavior. Um, and so we, we, we had a kind of relentless um, war on story count. So we, the first thing we did uh, was to make give a, we, we reduced the number of stories we put on our, our app and website by uh, 20%. Nice. Just, we said, look, this is just, this is an arbitrary limit of, uh, I think it was 40 stories we're going to do a day. We won't, we'll never have more than 40 stories. No matter what happens, and then that worked really well, and the engagement actually went up, went up. despite yeah. having fewer stories. And so we we then cut it by another ten uh, percent. Uh, and actually, I would I would have cut it even further um, mm -hmm. and made sure you know just have fewer more valuable stories will satisfy your customers more. And I know that you know the publishers in the in the UK are. Uh, experimenting with radically smaller editions. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the Guardian has already does, done that. And I, I know another publisher is, is already looking at doing a, a kind of a much reduced edition, which is really respectful of you know, the reader's time. So it's, it's mm -hmm. not producer-led, it's, it's, it's consumer-led in terms of the offering, which is you know, a huge change in the publishing industry. And, and you know, I think be very interesting to see how how this this trend develops the other trend that is developing is you know the regulators coming after recurring payments um we've seen ftc talk about dark patterns we've seen the rbi in india talk about and actually execute on this uh, recurring payments do you see that the cma in the uk is uh, thinking about it or you don't haven't heard much chatter on that uh, um, I, I think uh, because most of our publishers are active in in the states, that they will they will have to kind of follow that in the same way that you know everyone in the states had to follow GDPR in Europe. I think it's a mm -hmm. it's, it's it's likely to come to to the UK soon. Um, I mean, I think an, an interesting thing is it's 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 really best practice. It's, it's treating your um, your customers well. <laughs> Right. Uh, and in making it as sure it's as easy to unsubscribe as subscribe. I mean, you know, I, I actually had a friend who had uh, two subscriptions to uh, one title, which I won't name. Uh, he, he'd actually he bought a home delivery subscription and then a digital subscription uh, by mistake. Um, and he, he just kept them up because he said he couldn't be bothered <laughs> to phone up the call center and talk to someone for 15 minutes about why he actually did want to cancel one of them. 
mm-hmm. because he knew it would take that long. And he said, Look, I'm happy just to pay the, yeah, he's, he's a, a city lawyer in yep. the UK. So he's, he's, he's not short of money. So it's, it's fine for him. But if you're treating your customers to the point where they just kind of, ugh, they can't bear to deal with your call center stuff. That's a, that's a very bad place to be in. And I think, um, People also people expect it to be easy. I mean, it may be Netflix's problem, as we were, were talking about a little bit earlier, that it's too e- so easy to cancel. But they've set the bar for the fact that it, it should be easy to cancel. Look, um, I mean, so Netflix hit <coughs> Blockbuster's lunch because Blockbuster forgot that rentals was yeah. their primary revenue and not late fees, right? Yeah. Um, so they were counting on sleepers who forget to come back as their main revenue driver. So Netflix has learned. You know this from day one that yeah, sleep- yeah. sleepers are a big big threat to their business so they proactively wake up sleepers all the time yeah 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 no absolutely and, and actually i had a um uh, i got a note from uh the it was from the washington post uh just as my i bought an annual subscription a while away there was they had a, a while ago they had a very good rate and i signed up for it and then they they woke me up they sent me a note saying Hi, uh, you know, your subscription is about to renew. We thought we'd tell, we'd tell you, you know, obviously you can cancel it if you'd like. Um, but here's some of the great stuff we've been doing. And actually I resubscribed because they had treated me um, well. Uh, and that's I thought, awesome. okay, well, that's, I, I rewarded them for the, the, the way they treated me by signing up for another year. So honesty, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. just, you know, not letting it just turn over another year on your credit card. Um which I guess they could have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's a, uh, you know, churn obviously is the enemy of, of all subscription businesses, but I think a bad way to deal with churn is to make it almost impossible for, for your users to leave. Yeah. And that's kind of, they're not going to thank you for it. They're not going to come back a second time. Uh, and actually, I, I, you know, I, 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 I did, I've talked to people who've said they found the, the kind of the offboarding process of leaving their their subscription, so and some publications so painful that they would never subscribe again. I mean that that that, that everyone should pause for thought and and kind of really consider that when they when they kind of deal with how uh, cancellations. And the the last question I have is, and I've been asking this to every guest recently. Um, New York Times buying The Athletic and now Wordle. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, is that portfolio diversification or is that sort of rebundling uh, starting to happen uh, all over again? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what we were saying about uh, niche publishing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look, look first of all at The, the Athletic. Now, I think that's a very good point. Po- purchase uh, yeah i'm a big fan of the athletic uh um obviously in in the states uh it's seen as you know taking over local sports team coverage so it's a kind of play for those local areas and uh you can uh you know if you're a fan of the uh the cincinnati bengals uh obviously here in the here in the super bowl this year surprisingly you know if you know that the best coverage is in the athletic you're going to go for that, and and you, you know there's nothing going to stop you. And you know I, um, you know I, I support Tottenham Hotspur in, in the in the UK in in soccer, and that's all I read on the Athletic. But it's good enough that that's that's fine for me. So it's it's the the niche there, 
And actually, if you look at it on a broader perspective, so while uh, Americans may think that the NFL is the biggest sports league in the world, the actual the biggest league in the world is the English Premier League by a long way. Um, so by having all the great content from the Athletic uh, about the English Premier League, the New York Times has a great marketing opportunity in Africa and Asia and everywhere else. So I think that's, uh, I, I would be unsurprised if they don't look at forming some kind of Premier League bundle uh, for you know the, the world, X, America, and the UK. Um, but also, you know, they, I think Wordle is, uh, you know, interesting. It's, uh, you know, they say they're not going to put it as part of the subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels to me that they've, they've now got bought a very uh, good marketing channel to mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> to everyone who plays Wordle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and people are going to look at it every day. And if they start seeing ads for the New York Times or stories on the New York Times, I suspect, or, or the crossword, um, or the puzzles uh, offering. Oh wow! They're going to go to the to that. So that. It's see like the... captive inventory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know what? So I think it's smart. Yeah, if they paid, you know, the the reported one point five million dollars, well, you know, that's a great way of that's a very cheap way of reaching a new new audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, one one can't help but admire the uh, you know their boldness frankly, in, in mm-hmm. kind of these purchases. And, you know, the, they have a lot of they have a lot of free cash at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised to see them making further purchases. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the problem that, you know, in America, uh, for, you know, there will be lots of debates there in journalism schools about, you know, the, 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 the problem with local news and there's the New York Times eating up local newspapers and so on. But, you know, that's, you know, in a way, that's not their problem. That's... That's someone else's problem. Um, yeah, that's the second and, in line, third in line. That's their problem, right? I mean, the yeah. big uh, winner takes all, and the winner has the first shot at experimenting. Um, that's just the law of land. You know, there's a bunch of new media coming out in the US, though. You know, Puck News. I don't know if you've heard about yep, uh, yep, them yep. coming up, and you know, there's so many niches like just launching every day. Almost can't keep up with it. Um, I I just wonder. Right. If everybody and every newsletter starts a subscription now, um, what's their fate going to be? We've spoken yeah. to a few small creators who are journalists who have left uh, large organizations in the lore of, you know, Substacks, etc. Uh, and even two years ago, they were so bullish on their own subscriptions. And now they're starting to wonder if this is, you know, real. Um, but, you know, this has been a wonderful conversation, Alan. Um, you know, I want a shout out from you for HBM Advisory. Uh, who are you looking to speak with? Uh, who are your ideal clients? Uh, and if you want to call names of a few clients who could really benefit from your experience, who are not <laughs> your clients yet, you know, uh, if you were to be shameless, call them out. So... I I wouldn't presume to tell people that they need our services, but you know we 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 want to work with. Essentially, what we're finding really interesting is working with different publishers that have different issues that that need solving, and, and this is what kind of we find exciting. 
Um, so we're working with some very storied brands in the States who've been working, uh, you know, publishing for more than 100 years and also equally uh, launch, working with people who are just starting up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, you know, we, we, we like to think that the, um, the services we offer apply to, to, to all of them um, because the principles of what makes great, you know, news content online um, is, is universal and, and can be applied universally and, you know, needn't be hugely expensive with the, the right kind of, um, you know, advice uh, and guidance. And, and that's what we're, we're hoping to do. And also, you know, we, we, we work with non-publishers as well, which is particularly interesting because, you know, we both spent our whole careers in, in publishing, but now, you know, working with arts institutions and maybe brewers <laughs> or yeah. distillers, uh, it is fascinating. So, you know, we're, we are, um, you know, we're very, you know, we'll listen to, we'll listen to everyone's issues and try and help wherever we can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we have a website, uh, www.hbmadvisory.com. Um, so I'd urge people to have a look at us there and, um, get in touch and yeah, we'd be, you know, love to, um, love to help people. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Alan. This was splendid for me. Um, you know, I really hope, uh, wish you success uh, in the coming uh, months and years uh, and really hope to learn from you for our own business as well. So hopefully we can engage um, deeper for a few cents at some point as well. Absolutely, yes. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I, I love talking about um, this business. I think it's endlessly fascinating. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Great. Have a good day, Alan. Talk to you later. You too. Cheers, Abhishek. Bye. Bye.